All right, welcome into another edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson, joined alongside by Grant Benson after another Oklahoma victory. Back-to-back wins, Grant, as the Sooners go to Ames, Iowa, a game in which you were present and win 27 to 13. It's Sunday morning as we uh, dissect what we saw yesterday, uh, 11 a.m. kickoff. Grant, the, the, uh, you know, I, I got a chance to sit home and watch for the first time all year. We decided not to travel to Ames again. You did, though. The, the weather looked beautiful on TV. The, the scene looked beautiful. What was it like in Ames on the ground? Honestly, just a, just a really pleasant day for the most part. Um, beautiful day. Uh, pretty much a, an A-plus fall day. It was kind of low 60s, slight breeze, not a cloud in the sky. All the fall colors were out in force in Ames, which was nice to see. Pretty, I would say, you know, campus not particularly buzzing super hard. Uh, the crowd, for the most part, in the game was 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 pretty muted. They they really only got excited. That place only got loud. Basically, on you know when they when they cut the lead to twenty to thirteen, it was loud, and then on the ensuing three and out, it got really loud. Uh, but other than that, it wasn't a very daunting road environment. I would say. Well, so you made the trip down. Uh, you're in Minnesota. What's about a three hour drive or so? Yeah, it's, and- it's about it's about three hours on the dot. Really easy drive, actually. Really, really easy drive. And uh, I'm one of those weird, like I like to, so I, I don't like parking close to the stadium because I, I hate sitting in traffic and that's always like my thing. So I, I parked about probably about a mile from the stadium. I actually parked on campus in one of their free parking lots that was like next to one of their agricultural buildings or whatever. It was great. I just walked. It took me about half an hour to walk back to the car after the game and there was no traffic on the way out of town. Just hopped right back on 35, went north up to the Twin Cities and it was just a nice Nice little pleasant morning and, and afternoon. It was a good decision. I liked it a lot. Okay, yeah. I mean, obviously, that drive back was a lot better after you watched Oklahoma win. And you watched Oklahoma play pretty well. Uh, I mean, the Sooners, I mean, Kansas was great. The offense obviously was clicking against Kansas. But I'd say, uh, you know, the offense obviously at times was very good against Iowa State. But, you know, uh, that Iowa State defense is pretty good. But overall, as a team, I'd say that's, that's definitely the best game Oklahoma has played since Nebraska. Would you agree? Yes, I would. Um, although, you know, I, it's tough. I, I don't think – in the second half, their offense was pretty bad. Um, but, you know, also it's – you, you got to kind of tip your cap a little bit to Iowa State. That's, that's by far the best defense OU is going to see this year, I, I think. Um, that's, that's the best Iowa State's defense has been since Matt Campbell. Uh, since Matt Campbell is there. Seeing them in person, it just kind of crystallized it for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I, I, I was I was really pleased with the way that they played. That's the most decisively that Iowa State has been defeated this year. Uh, that was the first time uh, this season where they weren't yet. Yeah, I would say I, I guess that was you know that was pretty similar to how Baylor beat Iowa State as well, kind of keeping them at arm's length the entire time. But um, I, I, I thought OU did a pretty good job of of controlling the game. It, it, it kind of seemed like even while I was there that OU was controlling the game like ninety percent of the time. Yeah, and even though the offense, uh, you know, first half was good. You know, the, the you know the biggest play in the second half was obviously the Jaleel Farouk long touchdown catch from Dylan Gabriel. Uh, you know, even though the stats aren't anything to write home about, man, like it, it's almost like OU. Even though they played pretty well, I thought offensively, given the the circumstances of playing a pretty good defense, a really good defense, they left some points on the field, and I, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Mo- mainly, uh, they're 
maybe their best offensive player, Marvin Mims. I think he might have had the worst game of his career. I mean, he he had three drops, one of which didn't technically count, very beginning of the game. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's not jump into Marvin yet. I mean, he uh, I mean, he's a great player, and you know, everyone has a bad game here and there. Let's let's start with uh, more of the positives. I mean, we, I guess we're going with the offense. Let's let's start there with the offense, even though I know the defense played pretty well. And I was kind of going through notes and writing, jotting, you know, things down that stood out to me. And I think when you're talking offense, the easy thing to begin with is always, you know, always the quarterback. And I thought Dylan Gabriel played really well. And you look at the stat line, you're like, oh, man. I mean, he was kind of what? I mean, he was uh, uh, 15 to 26, only 148 yards, had the touchdown pass to Farouk. Uh, so the stats weren't anything to write home about passing wise. But, man, I thought he played really well. He was on point. He put the ball mostly where it needed to go. He had the one slight overthrow of Mims on a deep ball where he maybe you know overthrew him by a yard and a half. I you know off the top of my head though, Grant, I don't recall thinking, man, like that was a bad miss by Dylan Gabriel. Really, all day. Uh, what did you think about the way, about the way he played? I thought he was good. I, I, I thought he was good. I I thought Iowa State took away a lot. Um, I, I, I thought maybe there was some stuff that wasn't there. I wish he would have been a little bit more accurate on a couple of deep balls. You mentioned the one to Mims. There was also another one where I thought, uh, where he threw to Theo Weiss that Theo tried to make a nice play on. Uh, but if he actually would have led him a little more to the center of the field, I thought he had him, um, maybe for a touchdown. But, um, other than that, I thought he was good. He kind of like, he, he did a very good job. I feel like of recognizing what type of game it was because he was completely mistake free. He did, he did not make a single mistake in the game. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Um, and also um, I, I just kind of want to shout out the, his, his pass to Farouk. I think it was in the first quarter where he, where it was on a corner route where he kind of layered it over a couple of guys and, and Farouk made sort of an acrobatic catch in the air. That was a dime. That was a great throw. And um, that was kind of his one A-plus throw of the game. Uh, he, I, he threw into Mims, I think, on the same drive in the end zone that Mims couldn't quite come up with, which was really good coverage. That was also an A-plus throw as well. But, uh, yeah, he, he was good, just totally mistake-free. Um, and, and, and I think, obviously, you, you would hope to be a little bit more dynamic. But he just he didn't make any mistakes, and I felt like he, he did. He met the moment of what the game dictated. Yeah, that Mims, uh, the, the Mims throw were, I mean, it's a drop. I mean, that ball was right on Marvin Mims. It was a, not an easy catch, but when you're, you know, an elite wide receiver, a player that we praise a lot and, and not just here on this podcast, but, you know, everyone talks about how good Marvin Mims is because he is. You, you got to catch that ball. I thought that was Gabriel's best throw. The one to Farouk, I, I'd give more of that to Jaleel Farouk. I, I thought Farouk, it was more of a better play by him uh, because, I mean, I thought he broke his back the way he took that hit. I'm, I'm happy he wasn't obviously injured after that. Uh, that was a tough, tough ball to bring down and not drop because he went up high for it and got stuck right in the back. And I mean, I think Gabriel probably put it, you know, maybe the only place that Fruit could have caught it. But I think that was more on Jaleel. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Gabriel, yeah, I, I mean, thought him, of course, yeah. great, great catch by Fruit. But I thought like I, I would say, yeah, Gabriel put it in the only spot that ball could have been caught. It was so, yeah, that that was good stuff there. Uh, and, you know, in the running game, I mean, Gabriel did a, a nice job and like keeping it. It still is like every time they have a design quarterback run now, I'm sure everybody I know I am. You're like, eh, all right, here we go. He but needs to start it, it, diving head first. He needs to stop with the baseball slide. That's it's well, it's I'm I don't know. After watching it, I it, it seems I think, much more safe to do a head first slide now. No, I, I, I see what you mean, but I, I, I think what he's doing now, as you know, I, I He's, I think he's defending himself differently when he's sliding feet first. It seems like he's sliding and kind of like turning his body 
to like try to avoid hits. So I think the baseball slide's fine. I, I don't have any problem with it because like if you start going head first, if you go head first, you open yourself up more because like I think they're allowed to hit you. Where if they start seeing you break down and slide, there's yeah, like the one time he got concussed, obviously that happened. But it seems like a lot of the time though, when people start to break down and slide, the defenders aren't really launching at him, uh, and he's kind of defending himself. I think he's kind of lowering his head a little bit and trying to roll away from potential contact uh, moving forward. But anyway, that's a small thing. But yeah, obviously his health is super important. Uh, talking about him running the ball, I mean, there's good things, bad things. Let's, let's talk more about the running game, which was very good against uh, an Iowa State defense that has not given up many yards on the ground. And that's, you know, we got to talk about Eric Gray. Eric yeah, Gray I mean, continues his terrific season. Yeah, o- OU's ability to run the ball really in the first two and a half quarters of the game is the main reason uh, that in the defense uh, defense's consistency is the reason they won the game um, because I, I I believe that their their ability to run the ball basically from the second drive until Eric Gray you know missed a few drives being in the injury tent that was how they were able to control the game keep the you know stay in second and short third and short and essentially keep their defense off the field when they needed it and so that was big that was I thought OU watching you know, coming into this game. Not a lot of teams have really had success against Iowa State running the ball. Texas had a little bit with Bijan Robinson, uh, but they weren't particularly efficient doing it. I thought OU had 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 more success probably than anybody running the ball in Iowa State. But man, I mean, it was tough. I mean, once Eric Gray went down, though, it kind of felt like all momentum stopped there. And I, I, I it would have been nice if they would have been able to finish the game out with their running game uh, more. But I, I think that's kind of more of a tip your cap to Iowa State's defense type of deal. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, I said a little bit earlier that even though the offensive stats weren't eye popping, uh, it, it seemed like Oklahoma left some some plays on the field. They left some points on the field. I think the drop in the end zone by Marvin Mims, that's a touchdown. And then speaking of the running game, the the one kind of demerit on Eric Gray is he lost the fumble and he doesn't lose very many fumbles. Uh, but I mean, they were they were driving. I think that might have been. And even were they in the red zone? Yet yeah, he when was. He lost that fu- yeah, he was inside the fifteen where he lost it. So I mean, who know? I mean, that's at the very least, that's three points they didn't get on that drive. So I mean, there's there's at the very least ten points Oklahoma left on the field. Uh, Oklahoma second most points scored this year against Iowa State. Baylor had the most, but the Sooners could have had the most. Uh, and, and I was looking back, Baylor didn't turn the ball over at all against Iowa State, and OU turned it over. Uh, you know, Eric Gray turned it over there. So I don't know. I mean, it's just. Uh, the offense again. If you look just at the score sheet, I mean the running game. You know, the running numbers are, are good. I mean, average per rush is not great, but against Iowa State, almost four yards per rush is pretty good. Uh, going for over 180 as a team on the ground. Eric Gray himself goes over five per carry, over 100 yards. Uh, but yeah, I mean Oklahoma did leave some some stats out there, some points out there. Uh, I said before on the last podcast, I think OU's the best offense in the Big 12 when Gabriel's healthy. You know, I'm going to kind of amend that. I think maybe, you know, you were pushing back. I, I, you agreed. You agreed with me. Uh, and then I said, you know, after that, maybe it's Oklahoma State. You know, maybe it's T- TCU. And you said, no, it's TCU. I, you know, after TCU continues, once again, to continue to win and score, you know, I, I think maybe I wasn't giving enough credit to TCU. Just want to throw that in there. TCU is probably, uh, you know, we'll see when they play Iowa State how they do against Iowa State's defense. But, you know, TCU certainly has a, an argument for the best best offense in the conference. Uh, I yeah, kind of thought, I, I think honestly, Grant, that o, I, t- I thought OU would actually do better against Iowa State than they did yesterday. TCU throws it better than OU does. I think OU runs it better than TCU. 
I just wanted to, while that was on my brain, I wanted to throw that out there because again, I I thought you know I thought OU's offense played pretty well. I thought they would do better actually though than they did against Iowa State. OU's uh, OU's offense was playing well, and like I so I I told you this um, after OU went up twenty to thirteen, or I'm sorry, twenty to six on the on the Farouk forty yard touchdown catch. OU only gained three more yards the rest of the game, <laughs> and that was that was with about that was about five minutes to go in the third quarter. So OU's offense was was averaging close to six yards per play at that point in time, and then they just they just completely went in the tank the rest of the game. I mean, that's essentially what happened. That's crazy. That's that ain't good. I mean, obviously it's good to come out with a win whenever you have a, a stretch like that offensively. Yikes! But I I, I uh, really do think it it coincides because that was Eric Gray went out after that. So yeah. I mean, it was it was tough. It was tough sailing when he wasn't in there and. Hey, like I, I was, I, I was texting you during the game, and you know, I think, I think maybe I was a little, little bit too hard on Marcus Major watching the game live. There, he didn't really have a lot of, a lot of room to maneuver at all um, when he was in there. Uh, but at the same time, he just, he didn't look particularly decisive. I, I thought there was some, there were some cutback lanes that were there that he misread when I was rewatching it on TV. But I, I think it's, I mean, you can start to say right now, it's it's Dylan Gabriel on this offense, and then it's Eric Gray in terms of importance. Clearly, I think. Well, I mean, Marvin Mims, I'd say it's just. I, I think I, I, at this point in time, right now, I think Eric Gray is very clearly more important to the offense than than Mims has been, just in terms of effectiveness and and how it's played out. Maybe I, I'd say though, if if Mims plays the same way Mims normally does though yesterday and doesn't have those drops, I mean, he stuffs the stat sheet and the offense hums a little bit better. I think though, it's just it was weird that he that he had a bad day. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's it's like one A one one B when it comes to Eric Gray and Marvin Mims. It was just happening. I, don't know, to be, I think you know, you're kind of. Bad day. I mean, not that it's a big deal. I think you're kind of underrating Eric. Eric Gray is really good. I mean, he's. I'm not he's, underrating Eric. He's Gray. extremely he's, important to the offense. I he, think. He, he, of course he is. No, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying like Marvin Mims is the guy that you know you're saying. Hey, get that guy double digit targets every single game. Get the ball in his hand anytime you know any way possible. Uh, that's I mean that's basically the same thing as as Eric Gray and it's more difficult to get wide receivers touches obviously than running backs so I, I just think you know it's it's obviously not obviously that's not the right word uh, to me uh, I think they're both incredibly important and it's just weird to me that Mims had a bad day because again I think if Mims plays like he normally does uh, they probably get him the football more and you know he has a bigger day and uh, you know we're, we're sitting here saying yep, yep Eric Gray had a great day you know Marvin Mims is Marvin Mims and, and here we go here we go but speaking of Marcus Major though to your point uh, you know, 12 carries, ineffective, you know, under three yards per carry, like two and a half or like, he had like 29 yards rushing. It's he just, had some decent runs in the first half where he was, where he did a good job of, of, you know, of, of picking up two or three when he should have gotten none or zero okay. or I'm, was none okay. or, or, or one. And so like, I, I kind of want to give him credit for that. But yeah, in the second half, he just was, he, he was struggling in the second half for sure. And no Javante Barnes yesterday. Brent Venables said that he injured his hamstring late in the week, so he wasn't available. And so, you know, when, when it's just, you know, Barnes is out and it's just Gray and Major, and you see, you know, Gray for a few series or whatever in the second half unavailable. I believe the radio broadcast said he, was, he had a leg issue. And basically, you just have Marcus Major. Man, I, we were pretty excited about the possible running back depth in the fall or, you know, fall camp in August, but the depth of running back isn't good grant it's not and and you know i guess you know you get one guy out javante barnes and now you're only down to two players like you're telling me gavin sawchuck can't get on the field i guess he's not ready to get one carry 
What about uh, that dude from what about Bentavious Thompson who averaged six yards a carry? That you That's where I was going next. That's right. We Where's haven't he? heard we haven't heard from Bentavious Thompson at all. Like not even really even in fall camp. They didn't and he transferred in late summer. He played with Dylan Gabriel, like even when Jeff Lebby was there at UCF, and he had his best season, I think, at UCF. He ran for like six hundred yards his last full year, and yeah. So it's like, where is this guy? Uh, and you know, like obviously, like we like Tawi, you know, we like Tawi Walker in the spring game. Sure, he's like a walk-on type player, but he's showed us signs of man. This guy can be somewhat effective with one or two touches, but not even him. Like he doesn't even get a carry. And granted, Iowa State's got a great defense, so maybe a part of it is like, man, we don't want to risk putting in you know green players that could get the ball stripped out and you know lose a fumble we're going to go with our veteran players and eric gray and marcus major yeah I, I get that that's probably a big part of it uh but man that running back depth you know when one player is out it's like wow it's and yeah marcus major is pretty ineffective uh, it's like man it's it's eric gray or bust which you know, we're almost back to where we were last year in a way you know last year at least oklahoma had two good running backs that you know gray and kennedy brooks that now it's like you know you hope that Marcus Major can be on. And then I guess Javante Barnes has been hit and miss, uh, but he's been the main number two guy behind Eric Gray for the last few weeks. So, I mean, hopefully Eric Gray can stay healthy. That's, that's the main point. I mean, hopefully. he was on the yeah. last, his last run of the game, on the last drive, he had like a nine-yard run, uh, which was the second-to-last play of the game. And uh, he, he, he came up limping off the field. He was, he, was, he was limping like heavily coming off the field. So I hope. Yeah. Great. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, if he's, I, I hope he's not hurt for any extended period. That would be really tough on the offense, because I I don't think, unless I mean, you would hope that maybe Javante Barnes's thing is is minor, but hamstrings are are weird. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Indeed. I mean, Eric Gray is really important. They need him, but also, hey, I mean, Jalil Farouk is actually pretty good back there running the ball. That's a yeah, that's a great point. That's a, <laughs> um, all right. So. I've kind of gone through all of my bullet points I wrote down. I did, did want to, because I texted you this when it happened. When Danny Stutzman had that pick late in the game and, and didn't score, which we, we'll get to here. We'll talk about the defense here coming up. Uh, yeah, obviously, the Sooners needed to punch it in there, you know, deep in Iowa State territory. And it was good. I like the creativity by Jeff Lebby, uh, you know, lining up normally, but then shifting to the Wildcat. And going with the Wildcat, Eric Gray, touchdown run. I thought that was good creativity to, to ensure they got that touchdown there late in the game to make it a two-score game. And I guess on you know, speaking of Jeff Lebby, I thought uh, he, he called a great game. Uh, there was a lot of creative looks. Uh, unfortunately, I should have wrote down examples of it. Uh, gosh, there was one that I, now I can't even think of off the top of my head. But I remember thinking, man, that was really cool. Kind of, I hadn't really seen that before from, the, uh, from them. Uh, so Jeff Lebby called a great game. Uh, certainly was ready for Iowa State's, you know. They kind of ran defense. a weird little one of Farouk's runs was like a was like kind of like a a shotgun wing T look. Hmm. With uh, and what, how about them going uh, where the, it was like the well, they, they shifted. It was a direct snap to Gray, who I think handed off to Gabriel, and then Gabriel and then Farouk was coming across oh, yeah, the yeah, formation, yeah. and Gabriel handed it off to Farouk. I think that's what it was. Yeah, whenever he picked up. But uh, was that the one where he broke a tackle? I think so. Getting, like, I, th- I think that was the one where he. Yeah. Where it was like a. Tw- that was that was OU's longest run of the game. Yeah, and that was kind of awkward because Iowa State kind of stopped, like because they thought he went out of bounds or something to the tackle. Because they're so used to making open field tackles that uh, when a guy broke one, it was almost like, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, Fruit, the play's still going. I, I think we can. I mean, that was Fruit's best game as a Sooner yesterday. I, I think is, in my opinion, right. Uh, yeah, he was really good. I don't. I mean, I can't. 
I mean, I don't know, man. Like I mean, he only had 195 yards receiving on the year coming into that game. I mean, he's that was he had 71 in that game and had some big runs as well, touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's pretty fair to say that was his at least his most impactful game. And just uh, you know, in the running game early on, like how about this is more Jeff Lebby. They're going under center and like running counter and having success. And just nice and having success. Yeah. And like it's just a different look we hadn't seen on tape. And obviously Iowa State hadn't seen it. And it, it was good. I mean, it's, it's good to see the, the, the bit of, you know, some creativity, a little bit of wrinkles there to go against a really good defense. Yeah, Anything else on the offense you want to hit on? Uh, you know, not really. I, I thought, um, you know, one of my biggest takeaways really was just I, Iowa State's defense is, is really, really good. And I, I just, it, I felt this while I was watching it in person as well. Um, but it, it definitely confirmed when I when I rewatched the game on TV last night. Iowa State has two really really good defensive backs who are like, I, I definitely NFL guys. But Anthony Johnson Jr. and Tony Tampa are both really really good. Like I, I would even say to this point, better than any defensive back that Campbell has ever had there. Okay. And like, I don't, I don't know. know. I just I, mean, I think like I think Tampa, they're I think Tampa they're kind of PBU, like uncommonly good. I mean, Tampa made that PBU on the deep ball to Theo Weiss, but other than that, I don't really remember him doing anything. He's uh, a guy. But, it, Tampa Tampa stood out to me a lot when I was watching their game against Texas as well. He just he's got great size. He he seems big out there. Is he probably like six one six two? I mean, he's he's big for a corner, and he just looked. Uh, I mean, I texted you after he broke up that deep ball to the Theo Weiss. I was like, if, if that play was ran against a, an OU corner, they'd commit PI because they'd panic. They do. And, and Tampa just looked like, Oh yeah. Oh, he's running a deep. He's, he's running a, a post. All right. I'm just going to run with them. Oh, I'm going to find the ball. I'm going to go up and try to make a play on it. Easy. No big deal. Like it, it was just, yep. This is how you play defensive back. That's it's pretty easy. And that's the way he made it look, even though it's obviously not easy, but that's just kind of the, the, the gist I got from that particular play from him. Yeah, I just I, I just thought they were I, I thought it was really, really impressive. I thought they were arguably maybe the two best players in the game on the field. Oh, and I, I want to bring this up. Uh, you talked about in the preview podcast about how Will McDonald has never really stood out to you, never really done much. And I think that happened again. I, I don't did he I mean, he had five tackles, but I don't really remember him much. I uh, when I was watching the Texas game. The uh, number three, MJ Anderson. Yeah, looks he's like he's good. He he he's their he's best really defensive good. lineman. Yeah, like he's flashing. Like maybe like what are the odds that just the last two games are like his two best games or whatever, and that just happened to be what I've seen most of. But that guy looks really good. Like he gets oh, man, after like, it. Will Anderson or um, I mean, Will McDonald's been around for for a while. This is his Did I say Anderson? Year. My bad. I meant I meant McDonald. Yeah, McDonald. He's he's been around for a long time at Iowa. This is his fourth year as a major major contributor, and I know he he. You know, put up a lot of stats his sophomore and junior year, but I, I think there's a reason he came back this year. It's I, I don't I don't think he's in super high command, and I guess I just whenever I watched them, Will McDonald was never any uh, never a guy who stood out to me as someone who is making a ton of plays. Yeah, my bad. If I did, I call him Will Anderson. No, I think I, or, I don't know if you did. I don't. Uh, I, if I did, my bad. Okay, let's flip the script over to the defense, and I mentioned I obvi- like. I mentioned, okay, as a team, probably their best game since Nebraska. Defensively, obviously, their best game since Nebraska, not even close. And just to kind of throw it out there, it looked to me, I, you know, I wasn't watching that closely, but maybe it's because it was, it was so consistent. 
Uh, it looked to me that they were playing their, you know, their base four two five again with four D linemen on the field most of the game. I don't recall them really ever running out three defensive linemen in the game, and so you know they that's did. on the heel. They did on they, they they were in three down a lot in like third and long situations. Oh, they were. I, see, I just I totally missed that. Really? Yeah, I thought so. They were on third and longs. They were they were taking a defensive lineman off quite a bit. Okay, see there you go. I. Well, I was going to say it's coming off the heels of the Kansas game where, you know, their base appeared to be the four two five as well. So, you know, what I was going to ask or, or wonder is like, I wonder if they're getting more comfortable, you know, in that scheme. But, you know, when they play more passing teams later on, like West Virginia and Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, if they're going to go back to more and more of the three down lineman look. And, you know, if, I guess if I would have been paying more attention, I would have seen it more. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of the playbook still. It's just. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out and trying to learn and, and kind of decide on like why Oklahoma's defense now. That's two games in a row where we've seen some improvement. Certainly, it helps that Iowa State's offense is not very good. Uh, and that it, it's nice, Grant, that Iowa State came into the game not being able to run the football, and they still couldn't run the football against an Oklahoma defense that's been really bad against the run of late. So that was uh, a, a heartening thing to see. Yeah, really happy with how they defended the run. And you know, hey, it's yeah, Iowa State hadn't really been able to run it on anybody this year, but it's nice that they didn't have a get-right game against OU. They were still able to. Iowa State's offensive line sucks. It has sucked the entire time Matt Campbell has been there. It sucked when David Montgomery was there. It sucked when Brees Hall was there. It still sucks now. They just don't have David Montgomery and Brees Hall anymore. Just big uh, offensive line expert, are you? No, it's just like, I, I, I mean, any, every game that OU has played against Iowa State since Campbell has been there, they always get a ton of push on their offensive line. Always. And this time, they didn't have two NFL studs there to bail them out. Yeah, OU's defense, eight TFLs, just the one sack. I believe Jordan Kelly got a sack, so good for him. And then, uh, you know, the three takeaways, three interceptions, even though it should have only been two. I don't know. So you went back and rewatched it. Did you watch the Woody Washington interception? Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know what was going on there. That was so very clearly not an interception. And it looks like they even reviewed it, too. Yeah, they reviewed it. That's that was the more like early on in that game, Iowa State was getting screwed. Like that should not have been an interception. Uh, yeah, there Xavier two Hutchin- that and, and Hutchinson before the fourth and one side. Yeah, it was a first down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's just like okay, and you know Matt Campbell cutaways of him just yelling and screaming. Uh, you know, I like Mike Cam- uh, Mike. I like Matt Campbell, but like man, he's starting to like his cut. Like, he gets super mad during these games. It's like, all right, man. Like we get it. Like you keep doing this. Your team's not very, like maybe maybe like, go a different direction like ease it up a little bit <laughs> I don't know like, it just kind of seems like it was kind of like a novelty at first like, I remember the the 2020 Big 12 title game where you know a lot of OU, like it was he was really mad in that game it was like oh man Matt Campbell super mad now it's kind of like oh okay like is this kind of his thing uh, maybe he's always been that way I just haven't noticed but to me he's always like kind of like a pretty chill guy uh, but anyways I don't know what I'm my point is here but uh he but they were getting screwed early on in the game so i guess i shouldn't really criticize him for being mad about that uh but anyways yeah so i mean woody gets a pick um i mean he's gosh like i love woody man but you gotta you gotta make that pick clean off the bat like i get that the other guy was kind of trying to bat it down but woody had good position just pluck that out of the air be strong with your hands bring it down make no question about it the replay review bailed him out uh, and then, man, later in the game, and I texted you about this, there was a play where I can't remember 
Uh, no, it wasn't a PBU. It was just it was a third down stop, and it was like, okay, great. OU gets off the field, makes him punt. Awesome. But they had a great end zone view of it. And again, I don't know if you noticed this on your on your your rewatch, but uh, it's a it's a play where Woody's in a deep third. He's playing zone coverage, and his receiver across from him is lined up tight to the line of scrimmage. And immediately, his receiver runs it in and just takes himself away from Woody's zone. So when you're in the deep third, you think, okay, that guy's leaving. It's he's going into a different zone. You know, you yell in, in, in. It's not your responsibility anymore. So what Woody does is he looks to the inside to see if there's anybody from the other side of the field coming into his zone. He locates a player. He says, oh, a guy's running a, a crosser into my zone. But instead of Woody looking to the quarterback then on third down and long and trying to read the quarterback's eyes and watch the quarterback take him to the play, he just looks right at that receiver and zones it on that receiver. And that's exactly where Deckers is wanting to go. And so Deckers throws the ball to that guy. Woody the entire time is watching that player. He has no idea where the ball is. And so at this point, Woody has to wait until there's a ball there to make any sort of play. The guy makes the catch. Woody is there to make contact and make the tackle right away. It's not a bad play. It's a good play. You get him off the field. But, man, as a corner and cover three on third and long when you're playing zone, that's an interception. You see the guy coming in. You look to the quarterback. He's taking you right to the play. You step in front. You pick it off. You might go for six. And that's the difference between a good play and like an upper level elite football player. Yeah, Lee, I corner. think you're. I, I think you're describing a play that a a, a big time NFL draft pick would make, and that's not no, what Woody I, is. I don't think I am. I think I think I think a player that's played a lot of college football and that just understands the principles of cover three makes that play. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if you're right about that. Right, I, well, I thought, then I guess. I don't. I, I watched it over again. I I don't know if you're right about that. I, I watched it a few times. It's, you gotta I mean, have higher standards. You gotta have higher what if, standards. What if his defensive what, backs, man? What if the entire time his 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 mindset is don't let Xavier Hutchinson get behind me or don't, um, because that was it was Xavier Hutchinson. So I, I mean I don't know what the call was. I don't, and I, I just I, I thought Woody had a good game. I thought Woody had his best game of the season. So I see. I'm I'm holding these guys to a higher standard, though, man. You you gotta. That's not where we are, though. It's not where we are. It's not. That's not what this team is. That's not who Woody is. Woody's not an NFL guy at this point in time. I think we. He's just not. So I'm gonna take like what. I'm gonna I'm gonna take what we get. No, I I said it's it's not a bad play. I'm just saying I want more, man. And as a defensive back, like you're in a three deep coverage, like I don't understand. it, It seems like looking and reading the quarterback is not part of what Oklahoma did like it, it it's it's not it and that's it's college man it, it's a bad college quarterback he's going to tell you where he's going to throw most especially Hunter Deck I mean against Texas that guy stared guys down left and right that's what he does that's fun that's what's you see that on tape and so I that's just kind of what's frustrating about it like that should be something that these guys should be able to do and I'm I'm much plays like that separates from the game more and you can put your throat uh, put your foot on somebody's throat yeah, but I, like I said, I, I really think you're you're talking about the difference between just a, a a decent college player and a very good college player, and it's where we are right now. I, it's yeah, and I, I get it's frustrating. I'm I'm much more frustrated about the the fourth and twelve touchdown when it was twenty to six. That was awful. That was terrible defense. Like I I I, w- I would much rather spend more time you know <laughs> moaning about that play because that was just awful. Because it was because that was the only way Iowa State could 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 do anything against OU on that play and how does Danny Stutzman not know that yeah okay so yeah 
good transition. We'll talk about that. I mean, OU's defense was very good with the exception of that series. I mean, and that wasn't even the only fourth down play they allowed that series. They, they allowed a fourth and 11 earlier to, to extend the drive. And that's another one where it was annoying to me. I can't remember who the corner was there. I think it might have been Jaden Davis. Where it was fourth and 11. And when you're a defensive back and you're the guy and you're playing man coverage and they line up at a certain position on the field, you have to know in your head what are some logical options for what they're going to do here. You got a left-handed quarterback. He's probably going to, if, if he rolls out, like this receiver that, was on, that Davis was covering was tight to the line of scrimmage. What's a logical route he's going to probably run? Use the grass to the outside to run it out because he, he's lined up tight to the line of scrimmage. He, I think it's just you have to anticipate this kind of stuff. And it's like it was the easiest out route completion for a you know 15-yard easy 4th and 11 completion. Deckers just rolled out. The guy ran an out route because he had plenty of room to the sideline because he was lined up tight to the line of scrimmage. Boom, easy pitch and catch, move the chains. Ah! Like, come on, man. Anyways, but yeah, like that was a bad series in, in an otherwise pretty darn good game from Oklahoma defensively. Uh, and it's good to see that they did exactly what they needed to do against a bad offense. And, you know, they, they didn't, like you said, running-wise, Iowa State didn't have a get-right game. And totally, offensively, they didn't really have a get-right game. Oklahoma did a pretty good job. Uh, all right, so Justin Broyles made a nice play. Good on him. Diving interception. Uh, just, Justin Broyles played a good game. He was good. And another, um, here's one thing that, that really stood out to me when I rewatched it. They the secondary tackled really well yesterday, which is something okay. that we have not seen since the first three games of the year. So that was like really, really refreshing and nice to see. Um, I, I thought the entire team tackled well for the most part. Yes, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, so yeah, Justin Broyles, good, good on him for making that play. That was a you know a nice reaction play where the ball was in the air and he he had to dive, made the play, got Oklahoma off the field. Uh, Billy Bowman haven't mentioned him yet he was back I believe he got his first action in the game maybe second quarter I want to say he didn't uh, look healthy that, I, I don't yeah. know he, he didn't look healthy to me it's just he had that huge brace on his leg I, I believe Venable said that uh, he got cleared in the middle of the week and you know the only hope is that there was no setbacks and the healing process can continue because I'm just he just didn't seem like, yeah, like he wasn't very explosive. Um, you know, he obviously didn't play every snap. But at least if he got back in there, didn't have a setback, kind of got more of a feel for the speed of the game again, okay, maybe you hope for, you know, 10% improvement going into Baylor next week or whatever, 20%. And so, I mean, it's one of those things like if he's got a giant brace like that, I kind of would bet that's going to be on him the whole rest of the season. I I feel like it's there for a reason. Uh, I feel like it's there for protection. So I don't know. I guess I'm not a doctor. I'm not sure how those things work. But man, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just you see him with a big old brace. It, it's got to weigh him down a little bit. But anyways, I guess it's good that he's healthy enough to actually play. And you know, he's a player that we want to see play and play more and more. Just we want to see him healthy because we think that his his presence can obviously lift this defense up and make it play better. And I mean, I'm not so sure how much you know him being available was a reason why Oklahoma's defense played so well because he didn't, you know, didn't play that much. But it's definitely a, a start. And, uh, I mean, it's good that he's at least healthy enough to, to show signs of being available to play the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think, um, really, I mean, really overall, a, a good game for the defense. Um, 
you go you go and kind of look more of the you know the game beneath the game. Uh, well, Iowa State they only had a thirty seven percent success rate in this game. Um, that's that's really good. They only average about four and a half yards a play. They averaged six against Texas two weeks ago. So uh, really, just I, Iowa State they didn't really have any explosive plays. I think their most explosive play of the game was Deckers' run on their you know right before his pick to Stutzman. I, I think was their longest play of the game. And um, I mean, really, just they just didn't really have a lot of space to operate. Again, I thought the corners and the and the safeties did a really good job of tackling. Uh, but I mean, if, if if you're gonna single out one guy who was good, it's Deshaun White. Deshaun White was awesome yesterday. Was awesome. And really, I I think you know, remove Billy Bowman from the equation. Deshaun White has been the best player on this defense this year. I I, I think that is, and that may not matter. That may not be a huge deal. But at this point in time, I think that's that's pretty clear. Yeah, Deshaun White was great. He uh, I I feel like he was really good, like extra great on <laughs> Iowa State's touchdown series. Like I feel like he was making a bunch of plays to get them into third and long, second and long, third and long, and then uh, like they went away from him. Like Iowa State would go away from him on on fourth down, and they would convert. Uh, yeah, he was flying around. It seems like he's the only player really that is thriving in this new defensive scheme, and it's good for him. He's a guy that's been around for a long time always a good interview nice guy uh man it's crazy like think about how how many years like we've been talking to him you know like geez like was he playing i guess 2019 was probably his first kind of year i think maybe he was the 2018 recruiting class so 28 hell he might have been around 2018 too it's just it's uh it's it's been a long long career for deshaun white and this guy potentially uh you know could be making himself a little bit of money who knows he might be giving himself a chance at the next level or even a better chance than he had orig- uh, you know, otherwise, and it, it's good to see. Good to see. I'm glad you brought him up. I was going to bring him up next, and, and you beat me to it. Yeah, and so I hope he, he kind of continues to build on this because, I mean, that's a big deal. He was, he was huge in the run game, and you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, he's flying. He looks fast out there. He looks like he's capable of playing kind of that hybrid nickelback position, which I think we were all kind of about going into this year. But for sure, I mean, he, he moves way better than David Aguebu does in the middle. He moves better than Stutzman does. You can even, I mean, you could you could argue he he moves better than some of the, than Justin Broyles playing safety. So, really good season for Deshaun White. That that's nice to see. He's a guy who is, you know, who has been kind of a divisive player in his career here and has had a lot of ups and downs. But he he's putting together. He's he's one of those guys like we we talk about guys who kind of are able to put it all together in their last year of college. Um, there's been other guys, you know, kind of, kind of like that throughout the years. And, and this year it's Deshaun white. And that's, that's good to see. All right. Last thing on the defense, before we move over to our three word reviews that you guys have left on Twitter and also Facebook, what was your angle? What was your uh, experience live in the stadium on the Danny Stutzman interception? Uh, it was great. I mean, it was, I, I was nervous. I, after they had pinned him, and after Deckers had, you know, had, had his long run after a whiffed on him. You know, of course, like I was starting to think like, okay, here it is. This is very familiar. And then, um, yeah, they made a play. And, and I think that it was mostly, that play was mostly Deckers being awful. But um, I, it was great. I, I didn't really hear much around me. It was really quiet in the stadium, but I was excited for sure. I, from, <laughs> my, from my angle, I thought Stutzman was going to score easily. And uh, we, we kind of texted back and forth. But yeah, he's, he's got to score on that. He has to score on that play. Yeah, I was texting you after the fact. I said, man, Stutzman looks slow. And you said, no, I thought it looked pretty fast. And I went back and rewatched it. 
And so I take it back. I don't think he looks slow. I, I think he, he looks faster than I thought. It's just... He just... That was... To me, no, it, no experience as a ball carrier is what that was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you... You got to score on that play. I mean, there is so much green grass, and I guess it kind of close at the end. But, man, you're a big old linebacker. Just either stop and let the guy overrun you or just run right through somebody. Yeah, you got to – he he needs to hesitate there at the end to let Deckers over-pursue him and then let his momentum and his other – his teammates carry him into the end zone. Yeah. That's what you do there. I just don't understand how that's just not a natural reaction to anybody who's playing sports. But apparently it's not. <laughs> apparently, I, like a lot of people either have it or don't. And, I mean, it's great, and he made a nice play. I, in the replay, it's kind of interesting because he's kind of looking around. He kind of he finds the receiver, and he's like, oh, there's a guy there. And he turns his head back towards the quarterback, and the ball is right there. So, yeah, I mean, Decker's not a great throw. And, yes, and Decker's it, it, obviously thought that Stutzman was going to, wasn't going to carry the receiver, and he did. I mean, Stutzman yeah. played it well, and, yeah. but, but Decker's sucks. He shouldn't have made that throw. <laughs> it, it definitely was to Stutzman's benefit that right when he turned his head back towards the quarterback, the ball was there. He had no time to think about it. And I think back to, uh, was, it, was it week one against UTEP where he should have had a pick? He dropped a pick, could have been a pick six. And it's like probably had all this time to think about it, dropped it. This, it, it's always best whenever there's no thinking, you got to just react and be an athlete. And that's what this was. He, he just react, boom, hands up, catch, run. I think similarly, Justin Broz's interception. Broz is kind of back there playing center field. The ball comes out, and he's like got to, had to pounce on it like a cat. Like just react to it, dive, boom, make the catch. And he secured it, very well done. Uh, sometimes that's for the best. You have no time to think about it. You just make a play. Your brain can't, you know, you, your brain can't paralyze you. And I think that's what happened with Stutzman. It's just now we got to get him better at uh, carrying the football, trying to score. Because, man, when you're going up against a good Iowa State defense, uh, they, they almost got a freaking goal line stand there and, and forced a field goal. Granted, it sort of been I a know possession they game. No, they did. They, they, they got Gabriel for a loss on the first play, and the next play was, was Gray scoring. Oh, I thought it was third down he scored. No, it was second was down. And that was. Oh. And hey, here's, here's my glass half full of that. It's a good thing he didn't score. Because now OU knows that they can go to the Wildcat in the goal line. And just, there was so much space for Gray there. He, he didn't walk in, but there was a lot. I mean, he got past the first level. And then as soon as he, he got hit, he was at the one-yard line. He just fell forward. Go, go, to the, go to the freaking Wildcat at the goal line. Who cares? Do it until someone can stop it. No doubt. No it's doubt. like, I know, I know uh, sometimes like, people get a little insecure about that. Like, oh, we can't just line up and beat. Who cares? Just score. Like everyone like was that way about the bell dozer too, but it worked all the time. So just do it. Okay. I said that next up was going to be three word reviews. Obviously got to get to the guy who was potentially the most valuable player, man, Zach Schmidt. Uh, He scored Oklahoma's first 13 points, I guess. Is that the matter? Or maybe 16 points. No, 13, 13 is right. And so, I mean, special, just in general, special teams are very good in that game. Uh, Kudos to Brent Venables for calling that fake field goal. I mean, it's a chip shot field goal. It worked out perfectly. Kind of a fun design. Uh, nice to see that worked out. I mean, you know, obviously touchdowns instead of field goals against Iowa State are huge. That was a huge play in the game. And then uh, Michael Turk late in the game, man, finally was able to pin somebody deep. He had three massive punts. Three massive punts and a touchdown pass. <laughs> and, a t- and a touchdown pass, yeah. So special teams all the way around were pretty good. Man, that, that kind of gets me thinking uh, we were texting during the game man and this is part of Iowa State's probably their bit but man Oklahoma always had a super long field the entire game it's just they with the exception of the, obviously the Stutzman play 
Uh, it's just they had to, and that's you know obviously it's a big part of Iowa State, man. You got to you, you make people go a long way against that defense. That's difficult. Yeah, I mean it was. I I want to like I I don't know if I if I realize this like in the stadium. But those the the three Turk punts that I'm thinking of, like rewatching on TV, were so huge for momentum. And so I'm I'm thinking of one, obviously the one where he pinned him on um on the the drive where Deckers ended up throwing the pick to Stutzman. But also his other two punts to get OU out of the, the shadow of their own end zone. Um, he was with his with his uh with his feet basically right on the back goal line of the end zone. One he he punted he punted one of them sixty one yards in the air, and he had to, the guy had to fair catch it to the forty nine, and then standing all the way back in the end zone again, he had like a he had like a ninety yard punt, or it, was, it would have been an eighty yard punt went 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 back all the way to the thirty. I mean, massive. So I'm looking absolutely I'm, I'm looking massive. At the, uh, I'm looking at the fourth quarter play by play, and yeah, so. When it was twenty to thirteen, after Iowa State had cut the lead to you know a touchdown, and and OU went three and out, it was, I only remember that Gabriel took a took a big sack on third down. I totally forgot about that. Uh, it was that MJ Anderson guy, and, and so Turk OU had the ball the field. Yeah, OU had the ball at the eight yard line, and he had a sixty one yard punt. Woo! And that's and, and then, like and net, and so yeah, so sixty one net. But he absolutely yeah. kicked the ball in the air over 70 yards. And then uh, the one that pinned them at the two, that was also a 60-yard punt. <laughs> that was a 60-yarder. He had two 60-plus-yard punts. Did he have more than two? Holy cow. I guess I was kind of shortchanging him. I, he was better than I thought. That's a really OU went on. Hey, OU went on the road against what I, I think – I think everyone kind of sees now is, is definitely the best defense in this conference. Went on the road. Their offense did what they needed to do just a little bit, and they won the game with defense and special teams, making big plays in both of those regards. And that's yeah. awesome. And I, I got to say, so I was, um, I was on, so I was in the lower bowlie about 40 rows up on the goal line where OU scored their first touchdown, where Schmidt scored the touchdown. And from my vantage point, that play was so awesome. It was so cool. It was just, there was so much space on that side of the field where he scored. And so as soon as he, as soon as he got it, and, and as soon as he kind of crossed like the line of scrimmage, I was like, oh, he's scoring easily because there was just, it was just a massive hole wide open. It was awesome. Zach Schmidt running with the football, uh, better, better or worse than Danny Stutzman running with the football. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, Schmidt, Schmidt had to, had to make one small little cut there to follow his I know, block. That's not, I mean, he had like three yards. Like Stutzman had to go like thirty. Uh, stupid, stupid, uh, cheap shot. Uh, let's go to the West of Everest Facebook page for some three-word reviews. We begin with Tracy. Tracy says defense is close. Now I don't know if that's a uh, a dig at uh, Lincoln Riley talking about how everything was close and close last year, and the defense isn't really close, or if Tracy's actually being serious. Either way, uh, I, I wouldn't call the defense close. I would just say okay, good. They. They did a good thing against a bad offense. They didn't let a bad offense totally destroy them. And let's keep it up. And let's see what can happen against a Baylor team whose whose offense seemingly is is getting better as the year moves on. Yeah, you know? I think um and yeah, may not not get too far ahead of ourselves. I I don't know if I would say close quite yet. I, I'm glad this was a very nice step forward. I'm mostly encouraged by just how well they tackled in the open field. 
um, which which is good to see. But Iowa State doesn't really have any game breakers, guys who really can make you miss. So we'll we'll see going forward. I right now looking ahead of the Baylor game, pretty pretty easy for me to envision OU really struggling against Baylor's outside zone, especially someone like David Igwebu. More three board reviews from the West of Evers Facebook page. Justin says, "Keep the momentum." Harry, longtime listener, Harry says, "Fake field goal." Uh, Philip says, "Give it time." Shelley says, "Much better defense." Absolutely. Trey is just you know he uh, right to the point. Trey says, "Just keep winning." <laughs> uh, Michael says, "I'll take it." Okay. Uh, Shane says, "Solid defensive performance." <laughs> Uh, you know, Oklahoma, they've won two in a row, Grant. I know there's a lot of, I don't know, like after the Texas game, a lot of people went crazy. They got beat 49 nothing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, man, is this team going to win another game this year? Uh, OU now is one win away from bowl eligibility. Uh, Tim goes with not quite seller, so uh, as, in, as in like the seller, like the bottom. Uh, no, I mean, OU is definitely better than that, uh, and it's all about Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> Uh, Travis says fourth down conversions and then he says will it stop um, more from Shane taking a, a, a dig at Oklahoma State saying better than Cowboys Whew. Uh man what a, how about that man in the same season Oklahoma gets destroyed 49 to nothing and then Oklahoma State gets beat by Kansas State 48 to nothing uh, weird man that that is yeah, I didn't see that one coming at shocking. all. I thought I thought Kansas State would K- win that game. You were on K State, but yeah, but that was a and that it was it was Will Howard. Adrian Martinez didn't play. Yeah, it's it, man, like yeah, OSU had the backup quarterback. I mean, obviously, every single backup quarterback in in college football is better than Oklahoma's backup quarterbacks. But you know, but it, it does kind of seem like ever since Spencer Sanders got really banged up, Oklahoma State's been kind of teetering on the edge of like a total meltdown in a game at some point in time. You know what I mean? Like a Spencer Sanders meltdown game? What, sorry, what, or just I was like, distracted. It, there was, it just kind of seemed like ever since Spencer Sanders has gotten banged up like three or four weeks ago, Oklahoma State has just been kind of teetering on the edge of, of, of delivering a game like this where just uh, everything got, just melts down. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially coming off the way they beat Texas last week. I mean, that it's the thing is like sometimes there just are rules to life in college football. And man... I, you didn't expect it to be that bad, but man, that was just like your typical letdown spot. I mean, big, a lot of energy against Texas on homecoming. You knock off the Longhorns. You had to come back to beat them. Now you're going on the road against a really good K-State team. You have to try to, to get that same kind of energy two weeks in a row, and man, it just, yikes. That's, uh, that's tough for Oklahoma State. Uh, one more on the West of Evers Facebook page from ned and ned says announcers were terrible now obviously grant you were there at the game so you didn't watch live so here's the thing with me i for whatever reason i just don't i have no thoughts really like unless you're just like horrible like something really is obviously bad i don't really ever have thoughts about announcers anymore i i I never really had thoughts i don't it's kind of a thing where i for whatever reason maybe it's because i work in in broadcast television i just don't i don't care i don't really notice uh, some of my friends that are really into it, like they always have thoughts about the announcers. And I, I tell them like, yeah, man, like I want to engage. And like, I have like maybe a small thing here or there, but I normally don't have a whole lot of takeaways. The announcers to me didn't, didn't even think twice about it, Ned. 
during the game. Uh, I don't know if when you rewatch it, you probably weren't even thinking about or listening to the announcer. You're probably kind of skipping ahead and through. So anyways, uh, probably spent too much time on this anyways. But did you have any thoughts on who, who was calling the game? I um no, nah, I mean when it's OU games, no. I the the announcer doesn't even register for me if it's OU games. When I'm watching other other games, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll notice the announcer. But typically when I'm watching OU, I'm pretty I'm pretty razor focused, and everything else is just kind of white noise. And so I'll tell you this too, and just one last note on announcers. I promise you, out there listening, guys, like given my experience in this business, like I know some people that have called play by play, that do games, that do color. I promise you, man, like these guys don't really care about the teams that they're like as far as like, oh, they want a certain team to win or lose. They really don't care. It's there's so much work that goes into researching both teams and getting names and getting backstories and getting things to talk about. Uh, like, if you're in that business and you do that for a living, I promise you, man, like they don't like, for example, Dusty Dvorak. I know him. I work with him. He calls games. He does color. He went to OU. We all know he loves OU. He's an OU guy. He, when he, like, obviously, if he's calling an OU game, he wants OU to win. We all know that. But when he's calling an Oklahoma State game, like, he has no, like, he, like, he called the Oklahoma State Texas game, Grant. Like, he wasn't rooting for either one of those teams. He didn't care. Uh, and, like, he, in theory, oh, he should hate both Oklahoma State and Texas. He actually, like, I know he likes Mike Gundy a lot. He likes what Oklahoma State does. I don't know what he thinks about Texas and Sark. I haven't really talked to him about that. But, like, I promise you, like, it's a professional thing. He doesn't really care. It's just he likes, he likes college football. He likes calling the game. He said that was one of the, the best games he's ever called. He really enjoyed it. So, anyways, my point is, is, like, I know a lot of fans are like, man, that announcer hates my team. Or they, it's like, they really don't. They don't care. They really don't. I mean, there, there may be here or there, I guess. I, I guess there's never a never. But in general, man, they really don't care. All right. Off my soapbox. Let's go to the, uh, my Twitter page, at Lee Benson News 9. Friend of the podcast, Brady Trantham, says, linebackers in coverage is his three-word review. Certainly referencing... Uh, probably Danny Stutzman's interception or maybe even Danny Stutzman uh, losing a, a player on fourth and long and giving up a touchdown. I don't know. <laughs> that's Either actually, one. I like that, man. You can, that's open for interpretation. What, what is he referencing? That's a good <laughs> one. I always, always love it when Brady makes you think. And that's what he does. He's a, uh, he's a high level thinker. He wants to keep you on your toes. Longtime listener, Josh jumps in with Danny Stutzman. Bang. And another one, defense, noticeable improvements. Thank you, Josh. Brett jumps in with OU bowl bound. All right, come on, one game at a time, Brett. One game at a time. Let's not jump ahead. You, know, you beat Baylor, okay, yeah. You talk about a bowl game, but, I mean, do you really get excited about OU if, you know, let's say they beat Baylor but then lose out and they're 6-6? Six and six. Do you get excited about OU going to a 6-6 six and six bowl game? I don't know. But still, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Dan says, catch, Marvin, catch. <laughs> uh, I mean, no way like, Marvin Mims has a game like that the rest. Of the, it just, that's just, those happen. We're all human. Uh, and, uh, I really hope, um, at, this, at this point in time, I hope, I hope both Gabriel and Mims come back next year, which honestly, at this point, I think that is probably more likely than not. Um, mm, I don't know. Man, if they can, gosh, if they can, just, if they can just connect on some of those long balls. I <laughs> Maybe it's like maybe if they maybe they'll get all of the bad ones out of their system this year and then next year they'll just connect on all of them. I mean, at this rate, if Marvin Mims is back next year, that would be a huge upset. I just think like he'll probably test well at pro day uh, if he chooses to go that route. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. 
Uh, but I think I think Dylan Gabriel's back uh, next year. I just I can't imagine him going. But you know, again, getting far ahead of ourselves for no reason. Uh, another one from Dan. Dan says Cyclone defense respectable. <laughs> More than that, it's very that's, good. Yeah, it's kind of a it's it's like a backhanded compliment, kind of in a yeah, way. Yeah, I'd say their their defense is every bit as good as Oklahoma State's was last year. Very different and kind, but I in terms of effectiveness, every bit as good of it, as it. At Sooner Guys on Twitter says defense wins game. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Defense and special teams. Yeah. It's nice. I mean, it's it's that is nice, and it's like it's not accurate to say that OU hasn't won any games like that over the last 10, 11 years because they have. Just haven't been too many of them, and it's it, it's always kind of nice to see, especially when you can, especially when the offense like it wasn't atrocious. They weren't terrible. They they were bad, you know, for for probably an entire quarter of the game. But uh, it, it's good to see. I'm it, it's okay to win games like that sometimes. I feel like. Winning games, especially winning games pretty decisively or at least keeping a pretty good team at arm's length the entire time when you don't have your fastball, it's okay to appreciate wins like that. Absolutely. And also, we haven't really talked about this. It's nice to see that after an off week, you know, they continued the positive momentum from the Kansas game and they came out and they were ready to go. They were ready to play. And and they beat, a, I mean, Iowa State's under 500, but I mean that's a that's a that's a decent to good team, maybe because of their defense. And on the road, any sort of road win in college football is is a good win. And so you know, like again, like three weeks ago, the the ship the ship is sinking. Where is the season going to go? Are they going to go in the tank? Fortunately, it has not gone that way. It is it is steadily going the other way. It has been more of the positive, and and we saw another example, another data point, if you will, of okay. All right, take a deep breath. Things are things are not as bad as we thought they they, they maybe was, you know, three three four weeks ago. And on that note, I think it's uh I I want to bring up because I thought it was interesting this morning when I saw, and so this is oh he's played eight games now, and so you know we I, I reference SP plus a lot on this and have ever since we started this show, but uh, week eight typically represents you know when when all of kind of like last season's data um, is, is phased out. And so it's, it's pretty much just this year's data now in SP plus and Lee OU is 12th in SP plus. So maybe, really? uh, yeah. And, and that's just all of this year's stuff taken into account this year's stuff. So maybe, maybe a deep breath is in, is definitely appropriate for everybody. Um, but also looking forward though, Baylor is 16th. So it's a, a tough game coming up next week. I think uh, what's his name? Um, who's the SP Plus guy? Con- Connolly. I think Connolly just might he just might like the Big Twelve more than other conferences or something. I don't like what's going on here. Big Twelve is really good. Like he- Big Twelve has six teams in the top nineteen of SP Plus. Hmm. Uh, Jacob has a couple. Uh, Jacob's like in the same uh, same breath as Ned. So I, I, I guess it's a thing. Jacob says mute the announcers. Um, all right. So, I mean, I guess if you're not in the announcers, you guys can simulcast, put on Toby Rowland, put the radio broadcast on, watch it that way. Or uh, you put it on mute and like put on some music. I don't know. <laughs> my, my take uh, is that there's just there's so many college football broadcasts on any given Saturday. Not everybody can be good. And when you're relegated to FS1, the 11 a.m. game on FS1. Oy, you know, it's just you're, you're going to get the you're going to get the uh, the bullpen there for sure. I mean, the color guy was Mark Helfrich. 
who uh, you know coached at Oregon for a while and uh, was randomly uh, the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, a team I follow, and you know didn't really do much. But now he's on, in the broadcast booth. I, for all accounts, I've heard he's a great guy. And I think it was Ian Eagle's kid who sounds exactly like Ian Eagle doing play-by-play, which I think is always very interesting how uh, the nepotism in broadcast is, is kind of always going to be there. As I said, I thought the play-by-play guy, kids. I thought he had a decent voice. Like, his voice definitely works for it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's trying to be his dad. He's trying to be Iron Eagle. He sounds just like him. Makes sense. Uh, Jacob has another one. Jacob says, Mims anomaly game? Question mark? Hope he so. Says in, he says, hopefully, in parentheses. Uh, Sonny Hill Sooner, always enjoy his three-word review, says special teams dominates. Tenable Venable says complete football game. I like that one. Uh, Gus says punter and kicker, giving the special teams guys some love. And finally, Michael goes with big game Schmidt. Good one there as well. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for your three-word reviews. Good, good stuff there. Um, I do want to bring up one final uh, comment I noticed on uh, my Twitter account, at Lee Benson News 9. And uh, this is from Brett. We uh, had Brett's three-word review earlier. And I'll throw this out there since I'm thinking about it. And Brett says, and he tagged you as well, Grant. He says, I've held off long enough, boys. I need you to help me see a way through chaos where the Sooners make the Big 12 title game. I'm sick, I know, but I can't help it. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I guess I didn't do uh, the research here. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma's, I mean, they got to win out to have any sort of chance at this point. Uh, and they're going to need a lot of help. I in order to go through all the different matchups for the next, what, four games to figure it out, that might take some time there, Brett. But uh, I'm sure mathematically it's possible. But uh, I I mean, it's it's always good to have hope, obviously. But uh, hopefully you're not thinking it's like a possibility, like a real legitimate possibility. Uh, let's, let's have Oklahoma get back to 500 in the Big 12 first. Then maybe we'll start talking about that. Maybe. Yeah, I um, any, any I, thoughts? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, of, of course, I've thought about it. I'm a sicko like that. I always have. I, I always think about stuff like that. Um, Kansas State beating the hell out of Oklahoma State yesterday ended pretty much all hopes of that. Just at, at this point in time, focus on hopefully going nine and three, maybe getting to ten wins with a bowl win. That's that's where I am, like pie in the sky, where where I want the season to end. You know, in, in a perfect world. So that's that's kind of my focus. Yeah, because the top two teams right now, what it's it's TCU and K State, I believe, and OU has has Oakland. lost to the wrong three teams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least in hindsight, like the teams they've lost to this year are all pretty good. I mean, even though we make fun of Texas, I mean Texas is a good team. Uh, so, and I, I, I think they were off this past week. I think they they had a bye. They go uh, to Manhattan next week. That's so interesting. That's such yeah. an interesting game. Uh, indeed. Sorry, uh, I. Had a long pause there. Was trying to collect my thoughts. So, uh, so Brett, maybe we'll you know again like week to week at this point, man. Week to week, uh, Oklahoma's won back to back games. It's now three straight weeks. Now we can have that that feeling of Oklahoma not losing. You include the bye week in there, and uh, now we'll see what happens. They come home against a, a Baylor team. And how about this, Grant? I don't know if you saw this. You probably did. Uh, a two o'clock kick against Baylor and the game is going to be on ESPN plus it's yeah, like kind of Kent a strange decision kind of a strange decision I mean I thought the only ESPN plus game moving forward would just be like you know that the, the game that's normally the the pay-per-view game in the past it's like okay it's better for an ESPN plus 
man, having another game only on ESPN Plus is surprising to me for Oklahoma. I kind of figured, like, with Oklahoma, they would always have them on some television channel. But, you know, maybe the Big 12 thing, you know what? Oklahoma, one, you're not as good this year as you have been in the past. And two, hey, you're out of here soon. So, you know what? ESPN Plus it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it worked. I, I think typically I that either. means that means they were the last pick. That means that game was the last pick in the networks, which is odd because Oklahoma State and Kansas is a game next week, too. You would have guessed that would have been the... It doesn't matter. I, I don't care. I'm going to watch the game, and I don't care what channel it's on. Okay, good. All right, until uh, we'll be back on Wednesday of this week, or I guess you know, normally Thursday morning was never after the podcast, uh, for our OU Baylor preview. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.